Well, take your phones out, uh, and I want you to open to the Grace Point app, all right? If you don't have it, you should have it, all right? So be downloading it while I'm talking. We'll be going there in just a moment. Um, and so, listen, I, I want to challenge you because... And I've never done what I'm about to do here. And this is not even a part of my message. I've never done in 15 years what I'm about to challenge you with. But I just feel like it's absolutely the time to do it. It's the time. It's the time. We're going to talk about, for just a second, about generosity. About the whole idea of what we can do when we give, when we are generous people. Philosophy, theology, there's a lot behind it, the why, the where, and the what. And, you know, I, we could talk about the why all day long. I did a few weeks ago. We talked about how, you know, why we should give. We should give not because it's told, we're told to give. We should give because we have a love for God, and out of a love for God, therefore we give. It's just a natural response, okay? That's just what we should do because of a love relationship with God. It says more about our love relationship with God than it does about our money management. So, just keep that in mind. I don't want to focus on the what either today. Okay, I'm not going to say, you know, you need to give this or we need to give that. And oh, I'm not going to go there. I want to focus on the where. And again, I've never done this in, in this amount of time or in 15 years of our church. But I just want to do it today. I feel like it is right. As you sit here and you hear that story. And, and, and you, just, you just realize that, wow, what can we do when we come together collectively to give? And I have for a long time emphasized why you should give is you should give where you live. Where you're living should be where your giving is going. So therefore, if you're a part of Grace Point Church then, and, and you're receiving the blessings and you're receiving the teaching, and you're, then, then you should do your giving where you're living. And so that, that, here's, a, here's some uh, a kind of a litmus test for this. If you woke up this morning and you didn't even ask the question in the family, where are we going to church today, then I would say to you that you are in that situation to where this is your home. If you and your children uh, are, are receiving life-transforming lessons, values, whatever, we even had some uh, a child last week, and this should, we should be excited about this every week, but, but last week that gave us life to following Christ in, in, in our elementary school uh, services. While we're over here, they're over there uh, making decisions to follow Christ. Our youth on Wednesday nights are being challenged with values and worldview and making life decisions. I just want to emphasize that there's a lot going on and that if your family is reaping the benefits of that, then by all means, you should be an investor in that. Now, that's one thing to say that. But I realized, and this is where I'm going to kind of change it a little bit. I've, I've emphasized the me-centered giving. I'm getting this from the church, therefore I will give. It's kind of this ROI kind of mentality. Really ought not be that way. It ought to be that way maybe and as a part of it, but not in full. It's also not only what I'm giving, but what is our church doing? What is our church doing with that? Whenever you have a hope in WA Day and you don't realize that, that in that day we pour into so many families and we did so much and we took care of everything in a matter of $30,000 later of what we were able to pour in. And the only way we're able to do that is because our members are faithful to give. So that is a kudos, high five to you, but it's a challenge to, the, to a number of you who maybe aren't there yet in your generosity. I, I, I also think about this past month whenever I got this photo from 
Aubrey, who's a member of our church, who because of your giving, she is living on the international mission field in West Africa. And she sent this photo. It's kind of dark uh, under, a, under a little grass hut. Well, what they're doing is they're grinding maize so that every day these families will have food. Okay? They may have a bucket of corn. But what are you going to do to prepare that corn? They take it to this grinder. It's the only grinder in the village. And they sit there and they grind the maize. But also while they're there, the women sit around and they share gospel stories in a village, listen, that is entirely Muslim or entirely animistic in their faith. And there's a few ladies there who know gospel stories and they're sharing that. It's because of your giving. Because of your giving next weekend, we're going to do something pretty cool. And we've never done it before. Again, we try to think of that outside the box constantly. We've done pumpkin parties. We've done trunk or treat. We've done different things in the neighborhood. We've done things here on campus. We've done box mazes. We've done it all kind of as a fall festival. Well, this time we're not. We're going to go to some place called Farmland Adventures. I think it's in South Springdale. It's not one of those things that I've ever gone to uh, before. And our kids, they weren't around when our kids were growing up. But what we're doing is we're just saying, hey, listen, it's going to cost you a buck because it costs 10 bucks to take kids, okay, 10 bucks per child, but we're going to subsidize it 90%. We're going to do that so that your whole family can go at a very reduced price. And we want you to invite a family members or family or friends or neighbors that don't go to church anywhere. And we want you to foot the bill. At a buck a piece, what's it going to cost you? Listen, you will be the best friend in the world. They're going to walk up and say, 10 bucks, man, my kids are five kids. Man, my friends just spent 50 bucks on me. No, man, you only spent five bucks on them. But you get some good friend brownie points for that one. Uh, joking on that part. But uh, the, the point is, is that we are subsidizing it through your giving. Your giving makes a difference. All of that that I just shared happens in the month of October. That's just one month out of the year. And there's so much more. So here's the challenge. You got your phones open? You got it open to the app? When you go to the app, you're going to find a little icon that says give. I'm going to challenge you. If you are not a regular giver, but you're a regular attender, a regular part of this church, I'm going to challenge you to to step it up in the sense that you now start giving in a way that can impact not only here locally, foster families, not only here our next generation, not only around the world, but also your unchurched friends, and you can do the giving app, okay? You just go on there, click on that, and you can set it up as a reoccurring gift. Now, if you're the first time with us here today, you are freaking out at this point. I realize that. Please hang on. All the members around you can verify. I've never been so bold in this, but I just got to take this opportunity to point, point this out. This is an opportunity for you as easy as it can be. And what I do, Lori and I set this up recently because we were using the old system before and you can switch out of that and switch onto this. And I get an email every month whenever our contribution is about to go out of our account. And you know what I do? I use that as a prompting to pray. I get that email that says, okay, this is what's about to come out of your account. So go to Grace Point Church. You know what I do is I stop right there. I don't hit delete. I stop right there and say, God, I know what's happening this month. I pray that at Farmland Adventures, there's a new family that goes there and they meet some Christians and they realize we're really not geeks or nerds or anything like that. And they may actually find that we're pretty cool people and they may want to kind of come and bring their kids to our children's ministry in the future. I want to pray for Aubrey as she works in West Africa. And I want to pray that she's going to be able to feed some people now that that maybe they, they wouldn't walk that, that distance to grind their maize and they're going to now start hearing gospel stories. And I take the time to pray. So I want to encourage you 
to do this on a consistent, regular basis. We're going to let you figure out what generosity is. That's between you and listening to God. Okay? Listening to God. What a great segue. Let's talk about that. <clears throat> Keep your phones out. Okay? We're going to be using our phones uh, quite a bit right here, right now. I want you to be thinking about how much time you spend in social media. All right? I want you to start estimating that out, okay? Can you think about that in your mind? How much time do you feel like you use? You take your phones out now. If you've never participated in this, this is a cool way to interact with everyone, okay? You're going to take a survey. You're going to fill it out right now. We're going to get immediate results. We're going to combine your results with first service gatherings results, and we're going to see kind of where we feel. Do you spend... Now, when I say social media, it could be your fantasy football league, okay? Because you're interacting. That could be uh, your your gaming, okay? It could be any number of things that is taking you into the social atmosphere. And I want you to think about for a moment, how much time do you spend in a 24-hour period? 15 minutes or less? If you do, then what you're going to do is you're going to text to that number, 22333, GPC NWA. They're going to immediately shoot you back a text. And then when they shoot you back a text, then you can respond, A, 15 minutes or or fewer, B, 15 to 30, you get the hint, okay, 30 to an hour, all right, or if you spend an hour to two, or if you know you spend more than two hours in social media interaction, then you need to put that. This is what we're looking at so far from the first gathering, and now yours is populating it. And so surveys are coming in now. We're going to keep that, that going for a few moments as you continue to fill that out and complete that. But as you do that, I want us to remind, I want us to be remember we're not living in the industrial age. You go back and study history and how that changed the world and how that changed everything. We are living in a information revolution age where everything is, we don't kill mice, we play with mice on our, on our, on our, on our computers. We, we don't look at people, we look at pixels. Uh, we, we solve the world problems by keystrokes. Okay, we do so much via computer and information systems and all that kind of stuff. The problem is, is that is a good thing, but it can be a bad thing. And this is what happens is that good thing can become a bad thing whenever it starts sucking our life to it. And we start letting it dictate our life. All right. Time. What is it? You can waste it. You can spend it or you can invest it. All right. What are you doing with your life? This is the only one you got. And here's the thing. Whether you live in the industrial revolution or you live in the, or you live uh, pre-industrial, you live in the French revolution, whatever age you live in, here's one thing that's consistent about everybody that's ever walked this planet all the way back to Adam and Eve. You only get 24 hours. You only get 24 hours and I only get 24 hours and our children and our great-grandchildren and our great-great-grandchildren will only get 24 hours. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to spend it, waste it, or are you going to invest it? Think about what you're doing with your time. All right, now I want to show you, I want to ask you another question. That's what you feel you use, your uh, amount of time in social media. Now I want us to check our phones, keep your phones out, and I want us to see what we actually use. All right, you didn't know you could do this. I didn't know it until this past week. So take your phones. And you're going to do a little maneuvering through your phones here. If you have an iPhone, this is going to work. If you have an Android, don't turn it on. It'll catch on fire. Uh, So (laughs) go get you a new phone. Uh, And if you have a flip phone, (laughs) come see me afterwards. We'll talk. (laughs) 
All right. But it, 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 uh, so those with iPhones, this is going to work. Otherwise, you'll have to maneuver your way through your phone and figure it out. But go to battery. All right. So go to settings. All right. Find your little settings and spinning wheel there, a gray wheel box. And then you'll go to battery. And then you're going to go from when you hit battery, it's going to, it's going to start loading your battery usage. All right. And then you're going to start seeing the last 24 hours, okay? What have you done on your phone for the last 24 hours? You're going to click on the little clock on the right-hand side. Yeah, I heard some groans that just a second ago. What have you been doing on your phone the past 24 hours? Now, what I want you to zero in on, like mine is, I've got music, I've got uh, Airbnb, I was looking for a place to go on vacation, I've got different things like that, but Facebook, I'm not going to tell you how long I've been on Facebook, nor am I going to tell you how long I've been on Instagram, all right? But you will be able to look and calculate how many minutes in the past 24 hours you have been doing these meaningful activities, I'm sure. Uh, valuable activities, I'm sure. And so now, as you look at that, now again, this could be your fantasy football. Uh, obviously, that was Tim's phone and he does a lot of Minecraft. It could be your game. It could be anything like that. I just threw Tim under the bus. Um, so uh, whatever it is, now we're going to fill the survey out again. All right? And you're going to put the truth in. You're going to put what you actually did. All right, you're going to feel the same thing. Yeah, you won't have to retype in that in. Now you'll just have to go back into that same little address thing, and you're going to put in A, B, C, D, E. Now, if, if I've lost some of y'all, because, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I promise I will get to the Bible in a moment, uh, but just hang with me on this. This helps me communicate. How much time do you actually spend? Notice this is first service and second service to mine. Two hours. A day is the winner. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to tabulate these as they come in, all right? And we're going to post it on our social media later on this week. So think about it. Ironic, yeah. All right, here's what John Piper said. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will prove the prayerlessness was not a lack of time. That prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. We live in a very noisy world, self-induced, uncontrolled at times. Some that we can control, obviously. Some that we allow, we just get sucked in and we just end up wasting hours in a day's time. And to think that I could set aside time for silence and solitude and stillness and Scripture is so foreign to me because I just don't have time. We have as much time as Adam and Eve. We have as much time as anybody that's ever walked this earth. What are we going to do with that time? This is what Jean Fleming said. She said, we live in a noisy, busy world. Silence and solitude are not 21st century words. They fit an era of Victorian lace, high button shoes, kerosene lamps better than the age of television, video games, joggers wired with earphones. We have become a people with an aversion to quiet and uneasiness with being alone. Being still and quiet and in solitude, thinking and reflecting before God 
has not been something that has been bred into our culture and neither parents, listen, we are breeding it into our children. We're handing them devices and telling them to educate and entertain themselves. I'm not against devices. You can clearly see I've got them. But what happens though is these devices take over our life and they become a very loud noise in our life to the point that they drowned out the voice of God. Now just in quick review, what we've been talking about, if you're just now joining us, is the voices, the voices that are out there, the voices that are buying for our, for our time and attention. And here's one of the things I said in week number one is that God is speaking. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? You go back and you read 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel did not recognize the voice of God. So God was speaking, but he wasn't recognizing him. And so we have just challenged each other week after week is to pray the prayer that that Eli had challenged Samuel to go back and pray. And that is just simply speak, speak. Lord, your servant is hearing. Your servant is listening. And we've challenged you each week to take one of these little cards when you come in the door and you can go out and get it now or you can do it later or whatever. And we want you to write out what is God saying to you? This is something I want you to be praying through, listening for, because God is speaking. The question is not that. The question is, are we listening? Number two, which leads me right into number two, is that sin creates a static on the line. Static on the line where the the voice of God is distorted, where we've got too many voices on the line. It's a party line. It's a crowded line. And all of a sudden, we kind of tune God out because these other voices are somewhat more appealing. And you've heard me say again in the past that, that relationship and communication equal intimacy. You take out communication and intimacy goes away. Static moves in. Separation moves in. You don't want that. Last week we talked about becoming a God whisperer. We learn to listen for the still small voice of God. Have we learned to hear the whispers of God? Now this may be what I'm about to share with you is the the epicenter of the message, the thesis of the message, the the worth you getting out of bed to come here to hear this next statement, I think, because it's one that's resonating in my mind anyway, and that is this. Whispers become louder. Whispers become louder in silence and solitude. If we will learn to turn down the world and turn up God, it becomes louder, and we hear it. But if we're listening to everything out here, if we're listening to the technology voices, if we're listening to the voices of the past, if we're listening to our friends' voices, if we're listening to the voices of our age, and we're listening to all those voices, we'll not hear the voice of God. But if we can somehow turn those off, turn those down, it will automatically turn up the voice of God. With Flickr and faxes and emails and Twitter and text and blogs and instant messages and cell phones and Snapchat and 500 TV stations and Netflix, as, as Andrew has pointed out, uh, unexpected guests and sick children and crying babies, how in the world can I expect to have time for God and time for silence and solitude? Take your Bibles and let's look at the, the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. I want to talk about a man who is in high demand. 
A man who would be much like us today would consider ourselves very busy with a very full plate. His name is Jesus. I think you've heard of him. You know, so Jesus is a person that was in pretty high demand. He was healing people. He was bringing some people back to life again. That's, that's pretty impressive even to this day standards. You know, he was making the lame uh, to walk, the blind to see. He was feeding thousands of people at one time. In fact, there were so many people at, at times that he would say, hey, I'm going to get on the boat to go to the other side. He got the boat to go to the other side, and people were waiting for him when he got to the other side. It's kind of like I cannot find rest. I cannot find getting away. In fact, even one time he sent his disciples on into Samaria to, to, to get some food to eat, and he stayed back at camp, if you will, and a woman from, uh, comes to the well, and he ends up sharing the gospel with the woman from the well. She goes back and gets the entire village, and they come back. So he, it's like even as he's doing ministry and doing life and doing what he's supposed to do, life crowds in. And silence pushed out. We're high-demand people. Our schedules are, are just like that. Our bells and whistles that are going off in our heads and on our phones are constant. Listen to what I'm about to say. You will have to control time. You will have to. It will not freely give itself to you. It will be taken, snatched, stolen, robbed in every possible way. And we've got to be careful. The, the, this, this passage, this little story, this brief account of, in the Gospel of Mark is, is probably one of my favorite passages. And one, if I had five ver- passages that I would share from to any group of believers, this would be in the, my top five. And so I want us to read it today. I've shared it multiple times here, and, but I think we just coming back and just revisiting is so vitally important. I want you to do something with me today. It happened in Nehemiah whenever the, when the, the, the scriptures were read, the people stood up. And so let's just stand Stand up today as I read the scriptures in just respect for the word of God. We're in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed. He went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him hide and seek with Jesus and said to him, everyone is looking for you. You need to underscore that because some of y'all live with that alert in your life. The kids are looking for you. You text somebody and they don't text you right back and they get mad because you didn't text them right back. Everyone is looking for you. Your boss is wanting to know where you're at. Your children are wanting to know where you're at. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You can be seated. What's the benefit What's the benefit of taking time back and giving it over to silence and solitude and Scripture and not allowing noises, bells, whistles, dings, whatever else, take that time from us? 
And it's really hard, I know, when you've got kids and you've got demands. Listen, we're all in demand. But here's the benefits. If the benefits will be there, then maybe you'll say, okay, I'm going to make that a priority. Benefit number one is you get to have a private meeting with God of the universe. Think about that. You get to walk into, come boldly, it says in the book of Hebrews, to come boldly before the throne of grace. You get to go into the presence of the God who made it all and have a meeting with him. That's a pretty big deal. And what happens, though, because of life and everything, that kind of goes off, and we don't have time for it. But Jesus, even Jesus himself being God's son, took time to be with God the Father. And if perfect son Jesus had to be, took out time to be with perfect God the Father, how much does imperfect Mike McDaniel need to carve off time to be with God Almighty? Now I want you to notice this because I like this part, is that God got up, Jesus got up while it was really early in the morning. How many of y'all are morning people in here? Raise your hand. All right, we're of kindred spirit, okay? Some of y'all wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord, and others wake up and say, oh, Lord, it's morning. (laughs) So however you greet God in the morning, I encourage you to carve off time and say, okay, God, this is yours. Whether it be 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and if you're not doing any of that right now, then I say start with 10. But you're going to give him some time, some time of your life and time of your day early in the morning while it is still dark. Okay, early in the morning, there was a time that he got up. I don't know what it is for you. Find that time. Also, I will encourage you to find a place. Notice that he said he departed from a desolate to a desolate place. He left the house and he went away. That's what one translation says. He left the house and he went away. He got out of there. Now for you, if you get up early enough and you beat the kids up and you beat everyone else and all the other bells and whistles going off, then maybe you can go to the recliner in the middle of the living room. Maybe it's on the back porch. Maybe it's at the kitchen table. I've heard of parents who have to literally go in the bathroom and shut the door. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Find your spot and find that place and make it sacred. I like this, that he went to, he departed to a desolate place as if there was a particular place when he's walking into town. He says, you know what? I'm going to go meet with the father right underneath that tree or right by the water bank or or right by the river. I'm going to go over there. He's almost like he's got his radars up when he moves into a new town. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. I like that. Where's your place? I have a place in my living room. I get up the first one up in most mornings. It's a place that I can go to and nobody's going to be there. On a nice day, I have a place on the back porch that I go to and I sit there and I meet with God. When I travel around the world, I make sure I find places that are unique, places that I can meet with God under a mango tree in, in, in a West African village at Times Square. Literally, I went there at 530 in the morning 
There's still people awake in the city that never sleeps at 5.30 in the morning. The guy sitting in front of me drinking coffee. I was sitting there having my time with God. There were street sweepers and this guy. And, and we're there on Times Square and I'm meeting with God. Another time in front of the, uh, the, the Western Wall. Another time in front of Victoria Falls. I look for places, not just scenic places. not just I find places that I want to make sacred places and I want to meet with God there. Where's your place? There's an atmosphere about the place. It's a desolate place. Sounds depressing, right? Desolate? No, it's really more of a quiet place. And again, it could be in the stall in the bathroom. Wherever it is, find that place of silence. Psalm 62 verse 1 and 5 says, my soul waits in silence for God only. My soul waits in silence for God only. For my hope is from Him. If you know your hope is from God, you will make that a priority to meet with God and to wait with God in silence. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to do something that some of y'all are going to go through withdrawals and start twitching as soon as I say this. But I'm going to challenge you. Whatever was on your phone that is a time takeawayer of your life, a time waster, a time spender of your life that you just saw on your phone, I want to challenge you for the next seven days to turn it off and to tune in. Take that same amount of time, 14 minutes, 17 minutes, 30 minutes, that you were spending in social media, whatever, fantasy football, whatever, and I want you to say, okay, I'm going to commit that amount of time to waiting and listening to God. You may find it very uncomfortable in the beginning, but you will also find it life transforming in the end. There's an agenda when you get there. When he got there, he prayed. He went aside to a, to a place and he prayed. He was there to meet with God. It wasn't to plan out my day. It wasn't to set an agenda for my week. It wasn't to set goals for my life, but it was to lean in and to listen and to talk to and to discuss matters with God. Now, I don't know who told me this in this in this congregation. So if you told me, then you come up and tell me, and I'll give you credit. Until then, I'm going to take the credit for it. But uh, somebody shared a, a really cool kind of metaphor with me. If you'll wake up in the morning and you'll call God, but then you'll not say goodbye or amen, but you'll just leave God on the line. And you'll just walk with God for the rest of the day. Hey, God, I'm about to go into a meeting. I really need your help here. Hey, God, I got an email here that I'd like to blast that person right now. Would you give me the words and the patience and the kindness to say what I need to say and not say what I want to say? Or whatever it may be. God, thank you for that, that good doctor's report. God, thank you for that promotion. God, thank you for the, you know, just being in constant communication. And at the end of the day, just say, hey, God, what a great day and hang up. What if that's the kind of relationship you have with God? It's not just going over in the corner. That starts the day. That dials him in. That brings him into your life, into your day. But then you just talk to him throughout the rest of the day. Now, Randy Sprinkle in his book, Follow Me, said it like this. Prayer is not incessant talking to God. You don't just have to keep chat, 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 chat. Nobody likes to chitter chatty or chatty Cassie, what do they call it? Okay? Sometimes it's listening. But it's unceasing walking with God where you just constantly are aware of Him every step you take.
But it starts with those private moments with him of silence and solitude in Scripture. Think about it. Benefit number one is you get to meet with the God of the universe. Number two is that you have protected time from the world. Okay? We need to shut the world up. Okay? Shut it up from time to time, and we need to take back our lives. And that may mean taking this, turning it face down, turning all the notifications off, and just letting it be. I don't know about you, I can't stand when I look at my phone and there's a little red light that's telling me there's something. Anybody else can identify with that? Thank you. Obsessive compulsive people in the room. Um, So here's what we've got to do. We've got to learn to control that, turn it off, turn away from it, and we've got to, in a sense, detox ourselves from the world. Now, Lori and I, when we like to travel, we like to sometimes jump in the water and go diving. And one of the things that we've learned when we go diving is that when you go down underwater and you're there for, you know, 30 minutes, Lori's better with her oxygen than I am, 45 minutes, and, and, uh, and then we have to come up. If you've been down there 80 feet or 60 feet or whatever, you have to come up and you have to, what's in layman's terms, off gas. You have to get rid of the nitrogen that you've taken into your blood by being under the water. And you've got to rest for a certain length of time at about 10 or 15 feet. And you've got to stay there. Because if you come up too fast, there's all manner of things can go wrong to you. Pressure and, uh, and de- you can end up in a decompression chamber. You can end up dying. Okay? It's not a good thing. So you've got to pause and off gas. All right? There's some times in our life that we just need to pause and let off the things that we've collected, the things that is carrying us, the things that are weighting us down. And these silent moments with God and this time of reflection in His Word can do incredible things. But here's what's going to happen to your world and my world as it happens every single day is the world is going to come screaming at you. Look at this verse, verse 36 and 37. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Now that word searched, I looked it up. It literally means this, to pursue with a hostile intent. Now were they after Jesus to kill him? No. But have you ever had your kids come in the house screaming bloody murder only to find out it was nothing? Well, there's life will come screaming at you looking for you. Again, I use the example of the text messages because I've heard too many people talk about this. I didn't text them back right away and they got mad at me. What is everything revolve around you communicating to me and then therefore I jump to you? Or can it wait? We were driving through the hills of Arkansas the other day and we didn't have any cell phone reception. And we went for miles like that. And Lori said, what do, what do you do? He says, you do what you did when you didn't have these. <clears throat> There's a statement I heard a pastor say to a number of pastors whenever I was early on in the ministry, and he said this. He says, if you're available all the time, you're not worth much when you are available. You're going to be better husband, better wife, better son, better daughter, better student, better athlete, better Employee, if you have first spent time with God, listening for His voice, everyone is looking for you. Yes, they are. 
And you have an inbox that's filling up even as I speak. Everyone's looking for you. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29, out of the English version, today's English version, says it like this. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. We have made ourselves very complicated. How are we going to take this back and find protection from the world that's screaming to get us? I think there are three keys to private moments with God. Okay, three keys. I'm, uh, they're going to all start with R. They're all mine. You can add three more to them for all I care. There's no scripture to back them. They're just mine, okay? One is you've got to resist. I've learned this. I cannot have notifications on. I've got to turn this up, baby upside down. I've got to be away from it. Otherwise, even when I'm meeting with the God of the universe, when this thing ticks, dings, bings, whatever, I want to go to it. I've got to get away. I've got to resist resist. Billy Graham has been one of the few people, the only one that I know, that has ever been able to be a spiritual leader to every president since Eisenhower all the way to Obama. Think about that. He has prayed with every president in the United States. That's a pretty incredible uh, suit to think about. Early on in his ministry, he got a call from President Eisenhower, I've been told. And that when he got that call, It was early in the morning. He didn't take it from the president. 30 minutes go by. He calls the president back. General Eisenhower was a little put off by that. President General Eisenhower, if you will, put off that you didn't jump whenever he said, you know, I want to talk to you. And he literally explained himself. Billy Graham explained himself to Ike. He said this. He said, when I knew the president was calling me and I was in the process of meeting with God, I knew that it had to be important. But I knew that if the president wanted to talk to me, I needed to finish talking to the king of kings before I talked to the president. You need to be, you will be a better person again if you'll take time to meet with God before you meet with people. Number two, relax. This world is crazy. Sucking life out of us. Mark chapter 6 says it like this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and all that they had taught. They had been busy doing great and awesome ministry. Okay? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? Doing great ministry for God. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. You've heard that word desolate before, haven't we? In Mark chapter 1. To a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They couldn't even eat. There were so many people coming sick, so many people coming in need, so many people wanting to be taught, so many people, so many people, so many people. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Well, wasn't that selfish of them to leave people emails behind, to leave unreturned messages behind, to not pick up their text and respond well, to not answer every crying. I don't think so. Sometimes we've got to pull away, get away, and recharge. Number three is reflect. Once you've resisted the world, once you've learned to relax in the moment and in his presence, then you can reflect. This is where you start saying, okay, God, 
What needs to change? Okay, God, what are you doing? Okay, God, where are you moving? Okay, God. And you can do this on, on, on a mini scale every day. You can do this on bigger scales. If you devote days to this and hours to this, you can do this. And what you're saying in those moments is examine yourself. Make sure you're walking right with God. Henry Nowen said like this, solitude has been called the furnace of transformation. You don't like what you got. You know you need to change. Get quiet. Sometimes it's not just go out and do something about it. Sometimes it's get still with God and let him speak into your life. Jesus goes to this moment of getting up early, going out, meeting with God. He comes back to, to, to the screaming crowds of people and the throngs of people. And just imagine that. Such a dichotomy if you think about it. You've got Silence and solitude and separation and listening to God over here. And then you got the screaming, everyone's looking for you, searching madly for you. We live in that today. But what happens is we, by magnetic pull somehow, are sucked over here. And we don't have this over here. But what happens when we do this over here well? All of a sudden we can handle this over here. And not only that, here's a third benefit. When you are meeting with God in silence and solitude, all of a sudden, there's a renewed purpose. There's a renewed sense of direction of why I'm here and what it's all about. Giving God those first minutes of the day, first day out of every week, first dime out of every dollar, first consideration in every decision. When we put God first at every level of our life and we start making that as the rhythm of our life, there becomes a, a renewed sense of what it's all about, what it's not about. So you imagine with me all these crowds of people in this town of Capernaum wanting Jesus to stay right here. There's a great movement right here. Jesus, just stay here. We're needing you, Jesus. What does Jesus say? He said this. He said in verse 38 and 39, he said, let's go. Let's go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Why I left heaven? (laughs) It's because I knew that God called me to the next town and the next town and the next town. God may disrupt your life to get you back on his purpose when you spend time with him. I don't know. It may help you with his crowds and thronging people. And look at this. And throughout Galilee, he preached in the synagogues and he brought life to those that were demon-possessed. You know, I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. I don't know where you are in your silence and solitude in Scripture, but I pray that this week is a week where you turn off so you can turn on and listen to Him like never before. Coming back ready for what is God going to do, not only next Sunday, but I'm excited and anticipating what I was going to do with you Monday morning when you get up and you meet with Him. What kind of change, what kind of direction, what kind of new path, what kind of renewed sense of purpose is He going to call you to this week? 
I pray it's incredible. I pray that all the fear will be gone and you'll be able to outlive it and overcome it through the grace and the strength that comes through Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God living inside of you. We're going to continue to worship. We're going to sing just as a declaration to God about, about our faith in Him. We're going to give because giving is a part of worship and we're going to put Him first in our lives. Let's stand together and let's sing. Ushers will come at this time. And this will be what, how we go out today. So let us do it with our hearts full.